Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Bayard Rustin was an African-American leader in social movements for civil rights, socialism, nonviolence, and gay rights. He worked with A. Philip Randolph on the March on Washington movement in 1941 to press for an end to racial discrimination in employment. He later organized Freedom Rides and helped to organize the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Bayard Rustin was a gay man and, due to criticism over his sexuality, he usually acted as an influential advisor behind the scenes to civil rights leaders. As a young activist cutting my teeth in the civil rights and social justice movements, I didn't hear about Bayard Rustin. I felt that I needed to suppress my sexuality in order to be effective in the movement. But then through books, involvement with the LGBTQ organizations and community, and the movie, Brother Outsider, The Life of Bayard Rustin, I recognized the importance of bringing my full self to everything I was doing to truly create change. Along the way, I discovered other angelic troublemakers equally inspired by Rustin's life and doing the work. One being Robert Seda Schreiber, chief activist of the Bayard Rustin Center for Social Justice. Robert has quite literally had his boots on the ground since before he was born. From day one, the mission and vision of the Bayard Rustin Center for Social Justice, along with the commitment and Robert's passion, have been in sync with my core beliefs, touching my spirit. Robert has been a guest on this show several times, and I've been a guest on the Bayard Rustin Center for Social Justice Power Hour many times as well. So today, we're here together, once again, sharing some amazing news for all of you angelic troublemakers. Well, Robert, the drum roll, please. We've got a big announcement to make. (laughs) We certainly do. I am really excited about doing, and also... In the spirit of full transparency, I wanted to be sure to make sure that people know that not only do I love the Bayard Reston Center for Social Justice, you, the board, the work, but I wanted to let people know that now I am. If they didn't think I was vested in, in this organization before, I really am now. 
that you guys, as Fred and Sally Field said, you like me. You really, really like me. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And let, let me say for your audience and for our community um, how incredibly honored we are. We are proud to welcome you. And it is far too long in coming, I have to admit, um, so to say it uh, clearly and crystal for everybody that Michelle Elizabeth Brown is now a member of our board of directors at the Bayard Russell Center for Social Justice, and I, I honestly cannot imagine all the good works and wonderful things we are going to do together um, to further our community and to gather together both virtually for the time being but physically in the very near future um, and all of us here, and myself especially, both personally and uh, as per the center as an entity, um, couldn't be more absolutely thrilled to welcome you, my friend. Well, you know, I always thought of myself as your, your uh, and this is so cute, your fairy board member. You know, uh, yeah, I was always watching over and trying to figure out how I could help and stuff. And, you know, it's just a joy and a pleasure to be official and to know that, I mean, there's nothing else. I'm really going to roll up my sleeves now. I've got, you know, I can't wait to see what we're going to do. You know, I'm not the only one uh, who came on board just recently. Can you share with us the other people, I mean, I mean, who came on with me? I mean, it's already a fantastic board, but, I have some new brothers and sisters. <laughs> Indeed you do. Um, you know, one of the things that, that um, the pandemic was traumatic and was a tragedy, um, absolutely, no doubt, no dignity, but there was some positivity that we can draw from it. And one of the things was that we created um, our Social Justice Power Hour, which you have been so supportive about and actually appeared on many times in many different ways, and we so appreciate that every time you come on. We love that from when you actually organized a wonderful black, indigenous, people of color, poetry and music and um, open mic event where we celebrated folks from across the world who came on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, and what, what that's done is the Power Hour has afforded us here at the center a real national even, I dare say, international platform, which has um, grown our programming and grown our outreach exponentially. And we want to make sure that we um, take advantage of that in the best way possible, in the most positive way possible, so we can affect change across the nation and across the world. And one of the things that we want to do is now welcome folks from across all of the spectrums, including identity, sexuality, gender or lack thereof, uh, and geography. So welcoming you straight out of Michigan, you know, um, we're thrilled about that. We're welcoming um, Emilio Delgado, who folks may know better as Luis on Sesame Street. So as far as an international location, Sesame Street, you can't get better. Um, Emilio is one of these folks who, above and beyond, what he's done as Luis on Sesame Street. And that's no small thing. You know, him being on Sesame Street was the absolute epitome of representation. You know, he was the first Mexican-American, the first Latinx 
member of Sesame Street and, and basically one of the first representations of that community, of that culture on TV in and of itself. This is 50 years ago. And mm-hmm. his and Maria's loving relationship, they're growing a family, um, was absolutely essential for so many kids to see themselves for the first time reflected back from their TVs. Uh, and for so many of us as well, it, it was a window into Latin culture. It was a learning of, of, of um, Spanish language and an embracing of that culture and that community. And it's a beautiful thing. And what's amazing about meeting some of your idols, some of your heroes, which uh, Emilio absolutely is to me, um, is when they actually um, are even more than you expect and even more than you dare hope. And this is someone who's worked for um, so many different communities, for Chicano rights, for farm workers, for unions, um, for various charities, uh, doing so much incredible work, protesting all the way back to the Vietnam War up until today. You know, I say that he had his boots in the ground both on Sesame Street and on the okay. actual street. Um, and But this is an honor for us because this is the first time he's lent his name in such a direct and official capacity to an organization. He's been asked to join many boards and been asked to do many things for many different folks. And we are absolutely over the moon that he has accepted our invitation so not only graciously, but exuberantly. Uh, and um, between you and he joining us and the august and robust and diverse board that we already had, um, the sky's the absolute limit on how we can really help the community even further. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that, you know, and this is somebody who I met through the center. I had an opportunity to talk with him, who I think is just like as the best, Walter Nagel. I mean, it's sort of like that he, I mean, you know, if all Walter Nagel wanted to do was to give his blessing and to sit back and, and chill, I mean, that was awesome. But, you know, the fact that Walter is like, hey, let's do this. I mean, that also is, like, really inspiring. I remember, you know, Emilio and Sesame Street and how it helped, uh, especially a lot of kids recognize that, you know, their English isn't the only language, that there's all these things, there's a different culture. But Walter is bringing a generational history of, social justice, being an angelic troublemaker. And for some kids, I mean, his book that he wrote about Bayard is just, like, awesome. And so it's sort of like bringing, like, this history, this arc to the organization. Indeed. You know, it's hard for me to answer you a little bit because I'm smiling so hard. And if I may tell a story, if I may take a moment, as you know, uh, verbosity is my curse, and uh, Shakespeare would be disappointed, brevity is not the soul of my wit. But I'd love to tell a story about Walter. Um, Mm -hmm. So for your audience and for the community that may not know, Walter Nagel is um, the beloved partner uh, of Bayard Rustin. Uh, Bayard spent uh, the good last part of his life with Walter, and they had uh, a love affair for the ages. Uh, And Walter in and of himself is quite the inspirational figure um, himself. Uh, and when we first started the center, uh, my partner, who's a public defender, who's a lawyer, 
um, said, you know, you have to get permission to use Bayard's name. And I thought, no, you don't. We're a nonprofit. We're going to come rip the, the name off the door. You know, we're doing good works in his name. But, of course, uh, I listened, as I always do, to the better angels, as it were. And mm-hmm. I started to, to reach out and figure out who I needed to speak to to get permission to use the name. And I started through various different channels, ended up calling the Rustin Fund, which is, you know, um, what Walter has established in Bayard's name, and ended up on the phone with Walter himself, which I was flabbergasted about, and uh, for one of the first times, one of the only times, kind of speechless. Um, And we ended up talking, and what Walter said, and I'll never forget this, this is now almost four years ago um, when we started the center, he said, okay, you know, after we talked for a bit, because he's very reluctant to, to allow folks to use Bayard's name because there's a lot of difficulty still inherent, a lot of backlash from ugly, evil people. Um, mm-hmm. But he said to me at that moment, um, let's see what you do with it. And I felt like that was definitely like a probationary clause, like let's see how we do. And I, mm-hmm. I, and I was always in the back of my mind thinking about what would Walter think? Would Walter approve? Is Walter happy with what we're doing? Are we doing the good works in Byron's name the way that he thinks is righteous. And um, a few months after that, it was Byard's birthday, which is March 17th, I believe. And um, I made the ask, you know, because I'm always going to make the ask, this kid from Brooklyn's always going to make the ask, um, mm-hmm. to have Walter come out to the center, which is the time we were based in Princeton, New Jersey. Walter's in New York. Um, I said, would you come out and celebrate Byard's birthday with us? We'll show brother outside the documentary about his life and have you there for a conversation afterwards. And I really figured this would be an invitation that he would decline respectfully, but know that we asked and maybe the next time or the next time after that he might come. And he actually graced us with his presence. And at that moment I knew, um, as they say, as the Beatles said, you know, on the rooftop back in 1970, uh, I guess we passed the audition. And, um, (laughs) It was that moment that I thought, here we are, we've made it to this next level. And then um, sometime in the past year, year and a half, uh, Walter honored us even further by becoming a board member emeritus, our only board member emeritus, where he would lend his name in a direct fashion, just like Emilio did with his name for the first time, Walter did as well. Uh, But as you speak of, now you being a board member, you are privy to the fact that Walter has become even more active in our works. And we are, again, um, just inspired by that, to keep working, to keep pushing, to keep knowing that we're making an effect, that we're having an effect on people, that we're, we're making a difference in people's lives, both individually and communally. You know, when I talk to him, I mean, and I know what you mean. I said, when I asked, said, oh, would you? And he was like, oh, yes, I. And it was, it was so easy talking to him. And I think that the thing that I always remember, you know, being a hopeless romantic, is how he told me about the first time he saw Bayard. And it was like, wow. Talk about, that was just like a love story for, you know, the ages. And also that we have, 
these love stories that people, you know, they want to think about the LGBTQ community and also social justice activists, like either we're, you know, party animals or bleeding hearts or, you know, all this stuff, but they forget that we're just like real people. We have real lives and the things that they went through. And I can tell you that it seemed like often, like during Black History Month, some organization or a college or something would come up, we're going to show Brother Outsider. And I'm going like, okay, you know. And I would talk about it, but after I talked to him, I looked at that film differently and thought about all the things that, that went on. You know, it gave such a, a, a depth to this beloved character in our community, this beloved icon, you know, who particularly many black people don't know the role that he played, but not only just like in the civil rights movement, but just in social justice. And I think that's one of the things that resonated with me about the center is that we are angelic troublemakers, you know, in our own way, you know, and that's great. Yeah, I think that you you capture the heart of it, both literally and figuratively. I think often of what Brother Cornell West said, um, that justice is what love looks like in public. Um, that, that, that's, that's, we, have, we have to tell these stories. We have to take these icons and the, uh, of our history um, and our present. Uh, we have to uh, think about these historical moments and these moments of the present. And we have to break them down into what their stories are and to what these folks not only represented, because it's not about representation all the time. Sometimes it's about the humanity of that person, the humanity of that moment. And, and that's one of the things that I, I think why the, the Biodressin Center for Social Justice is so important. And it was my dream from the very nascent stages um, that we amplify not only the folks, not only the stories, not only the moments, but really understand the humanity behind all of it. You know, I, and I will say the other thing that that drew me to the center were the photos. And you know which one I'm talking about. One of the ones that I really love is of you and you're just hugging these kids. And that's often the story you hear about our kids, kids who, you know, people will say, oh, they're so different. But you know what? And that's okay. Because what one of the things that attracted me to the center was the love. Like you were just saying, I saw you hugging these kids, and they were hugging you back. And anyone who has experienced that kind of just, like, love, I mean, it just moves you. It makes my day. I still sometimes look at that picture and smile. <laughs> <laughs> that, may, that makes two of us. That was an incredible moment. That was the first time that the center came out um, at a pride event and we just found every kid we could and let them know that they were seen, that they were recognized, that they were respected and they were loved. And we've done that 
I, I, no exaggeration. I, I will say this without hesitation. We have done that every day since we started in some way, in some large or small fashion. Um, it's imperative. But then again, I want to make it crystal that one of the things also that we are really, really cognizant of is that it's not just about kids mm-hmm. because it's so important that we elevate them, that we amplify them, that we have them know that they have a place uh, at the center, uh, both literally and figuratively, right? But it's about families. It's about marginalized folks. It's about all the people who have been lost, have been forgotten, um, and who are sometimes ignored. And that includes everybody across the spectrum, right? And, and I, I think I said this at the outset, and I just want to add to it, you know, it's, it's, it's not only about gender, identity, sexuality. It also involves age. And that's really important to us. And, and one of the things that, that we're really, really proud of is that we found um, one of our community members was one of the co-founders of Gay People Princeton, which was the first gay rights organization in central New Jersey, if not all of New Jersey. And his story, even to himself, was, was forgotten, was, was left behind. He had done this thing, he thought it was wonderful, and he moved on. And what we realized is, no, this is really important for people to hear, for people to see, for people to experience, for people to be inspired by. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that, that we say quite often is, you know, our past informs our present, and our present inspires our future, right? And we have to make sure that we live to that. So now we created a historical archive of gay people Princeton, which was deemed so important that it's the first piece of queer history that the Historical Society of Princeton took in. And now there's a dedicated spot in their um, archives and also um, at our center right now. Our center uh, doesn't exist physically. We lost our space during the pandemic, but we're looking very, very soon to reestablish a space because um, it's hard to be a safe space without a space, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's one of the things, again, you know, when we talk about, I mean, you and I have, have done so much. <laughs> but when I look at <laughs> when we did the uh, BIPOC Queer Voices, and these are people, I mean, when you look at all the different people who have come and done poetry, who have written, who have told their stories, I mean, that often, you know, they don't get their stories told, but it can be like so inspirational. And it also, I know that we have like we've had, remember, um, and I, you're going to have to help me. We had um, someone who's on the Power Hour regularly, and uh, our co, one of your co-hosts, Haley, said, you know, I didn't think I liked folk music, you know, and right. and but I do, you know, and. It's music, it's expression, and we're bringing, you know, love for music, love for the arts, love for storytelling. I mean, all of this is like, and it goes everywhere from, you don't know what, I remember the other thing where you had the family and the kids, except for pride, that they did it. You know, I mean, it's like families, it's elders, it's, it's different genres. And that's who we are, you know, not just as as a community, and you know, we're stronger together. 
Oh yeah, that that is that is the epitome, um, you know. And and you know, I have to say that when we started the Social Justice Power Hour, you know, it was when we closed our doors physically. I knew that our community, our, our local community, needed to have a place to go. This was at the, the the very start of the pandemic. We were heartbroken to close our doors, but the day we closed our doors physically, we opened them virtually. That was the first night of the Power Hour. And um, I really had no idea of how exponential it was going to become, how inspirational it was going to become. I really thought of it as basically a virtual hangout for the folks that needed a place to go, that I knew that there were people that came to the center every day. And then especially during this, this, this pandemic, during this traumatic time, they were going to need to feel they had a safe space once again. And if it was virtual, so be it. So I created this space 7 p.m. Eastern every single weeknight. And I thought that, that a couple of dozen folks from our local community would show up and, and would be party to these conversations, these events, these concerts, these poetry readings, these musicians, whatever else we could muster up. And I had, and you know I dream big. I dream big, mm-hmm. but I had no idea of what this would become. I had no concept that one day we would welcome Valerie Jarrett. We would welcome Wayne Brady, Patton Oswalt, Billy Eichner, Robert Jones Jr. You know, every, every author, and I say this without hesitation, every author, black, indigenous, people of color, queer, who are on the, the end of year best of lists, we have had on the show. You know, and, and I, I take that as, as a huge point of pride, but I also take it as an understanding that we've built something extraordinary. It's not about me in any way, shape, or form. You know, I have to get out of the way. I, I have to amplify the voices and keep mine a, as quiet as possible. It's not even about the Power Hour itself or even the Biowrestling Center for Social Justice. It's about establishing a moment, establishing a space, establishing 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific every single weeknight. Since the pandemic started, we haven't missed a night. We haven't mm-hmm. missed a beat. We've done almost 500 shows in a row. And every night we've brought something to the community. And as you said, you know, it's not always about the best-selling authors or the extraordinary musicians or the international comedians or actors or whatever else. That's great. I mean, that feels good. And I know that feels good for the community to see that these people are showing up for them. But it's also about the families. It's also about the inspirational local community leaders and members who have stories to tell. And that we always try to balance it in that. And especially when we have nights like what you did helping us curate a BIPOC Queer Voices Night or when we have our Christmas holidays, Safe Space Spectacular or our Valentine's Story Sharing or whatever you know, special equation is, we always make sure we balance between you know, international superstars no doubt, but also local folks who have just as, if not more so, interesting, exciting, inspirational stories to share. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take just one break for this show, but we'll be right back, and then I want to talk about us. Me and I look family. forward to that very much. So we'll be right back.
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. And we're back here on our collections by Michelle Brown. If you've missed that big announcement, this is my family for real. <laughs> I am so honored to be part of the Biodresden Center for Social Justice Board of Directors. I'm going to tell you, you were when we were finishing up the last part, you were talking about uh, the power hour. Do you know especially in these times of this pandemic where so many people went inside and many people say, oh, well, you know, you can Zoom and everything, but many people felt isolated and stuff. How many t- I have many times told people, you know, every night this is on. If you see somebody and you miss it, you can probably, you know, find it on the site and watch them later on, or I'll tell them that it is. And I've even had people who said that afterwards they went, they said, well, I heard you talk about that, and I went ahead and did that. And it also shows, you know, a lot of our centers closed. A lot of places had to cut back. A lot of people did it. But it also shows that we're still here. Our community still needs us. And here it is something that you can turn to and see yourself the possibilities of who you can be every night, even if you're doing queer yoga and helping you get yourself centered, balanced, you know, by doing yoga. I had someone talk about They said, you know what, I, I liked it because doing other yoga, I thought people looked at me, and now I can do it whatever way I want. If I can't do it perfect, that's okay. Nobody's going to laugh at me, but... They turn in regularly for queer yoga. That's beautiful to hear. You you know, it it was really important to us to, um, we're so really honored that queer yoga master Jasmani has has been with us. Uh, You know, I've done the show every weeknight, you know, as I said, for the past year, nine months, over almost 500 now. But uh, Jasmani has done it every Tuesday. You know, uh, and he's just a volunteer. He's just someone who believes in what we do. And he came, you know, from Latin America, and he found he found us, and he found a space. And almost immediately, uh, back in the, the before times, he did queer yoga at the center every week, you know, uh, at our physical location when we had one. And it was wonderful. You know, and a couple of dozen people would show up. and But for every one of them, it was really important for, for exactly what you said. It, it, there was no judgment. There was no uh, looking askance. There was no fear of um, not being accepted. It was, of course, as always, a safe space and a brave space and someplace they could come and be comfortable together, take a breath both literally and figuratively. 
And I knew that when we started the Power Hour that there was an absolute need to continue that program. And it's wonderful. You know, it's yeah. it's really great because we, we know that people tune in internationally, you know, and, um, you know, however they, they identify, you know, downward dog or otherwise, they um, have a place that they can <laughs> practice, you know, with their virtual yoga mats. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's cute. Downward dog or otherwise. I think it is so cool. And, you know, and, and it is. Now, I remember you telling me, you know, because we talk all the time, <laughs> about how when you found the other space and, you know, and how you could see it. When you were working there, you looked down the hallway, there was Carol. How hard was it to shut down that space? And, you know, I know, like, some people, like, they they didn't make that decision, and financially they couldn't carry that burden. But and eventually they lost the space. But you were, you know, you shut it down. You recognized it. How hard was that? And although you have power hour every night, what do you miss about having a space, a physical location? Uh, I miss I miss people dropping by. I miss seeing the community. I miss being able to have the contact, you know, um, everything from hugging and and, mm. and just being present and having people know that it's there. You know, I, I, I was a, a public school teacher, a middle school teacher for 23 years before I started the center. And I started the first K-Straight Alliance in New Jersey um, middle school. And um, one of the things I used to tell my kids every week when we met and most days after school when they would come by just in general, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. was that us being here and present for each other and having this meeting, having this gathering, is really so incredibly important for all of us that are gathered together, of course. But I truly believe that it is even more important to those of us that can't be here for whatever reason. If they they can't come out yet or they can't be present yet in, in this community, or whatever other reason bars them from from being involved or in person. But just knowing that folks are gathering together in this capacity, in this community, in this showing of love, gives them a sense of strength and solace, even from afar. And I feel like having a physical space does that same thing. It is as much... uh, it has as much import as being there for people who come to it as those that just know it exists and is there for when they can or eventually um, can be with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about a space, even if it's just like if you're not fully out or if you're just sort of trying to find people who are like you, to have that space where you can go and be in community. I mean, I think that I, and you know, there's nothing wrong with with virtual. I I believe, and I'm sure that you do too, that um, a part of the virtual will continue, but to have that space to where you can sort of like come together and like you said, hug, eat pizza, dance, you know, whatever. How do you, 
do you plan to continue the power hour once we find a home, or what do you think? 100%. I mean, the, the social justice power hour has become such a huge, huge platform for so many different reasons and for so many different people. And as much as I look forward to um, having a physical space again and be able to gather locally and even, you know, now having a bigger outreach. So when people like Jill Sobule come and do a concert all the way from California, Jill, of course, we know from uh, a kissed a girl and supermodel. Um, She is Mm -hmm. so much more than a two hit wonder though. Um, (laughs) She comes all the way from California to do a benefit for us. You know, when we have Emilio Delgado, when we have Luis come out and do a concert for us, both for the kids and for the adults, you know, and all these power hour guests who have said to me explicitly, hey, when you have a space, I'm there. Um, Mm -hmm. So we're going to gather together in really robust and meaningful and fabulous fashion once again. But I don't want to ever forget, leave behind, or take for granted the virtual community that we've built. Mm-hmm. which we absolutely will carry forth. You know, and, and what, I, what I hope to achieve, what we hope will be the new model, will be a, a hybrid. So when we do events at the center, we will broadcast them out as uh, power hours. But also there will be still virtual power hours because there will be people, you know, like Zen Jodakar who joins us, you know, all the way out from Europe, you know, and people... Like, um, you know, I'm trying to think. We've had people from England, people from France, people from uh, the Middle East who have come out on the Power Hour. So we want to still gather together. And, you know, people from Ohio and people from, you know, Milwaukee and people from all across our nation, across the world, who, you know, for a reason might not be able to get out to the center itself, but still want to share community. So when we open up our doors physically again, we will never, and I promise you this, close them virtually. Um, it's, it's too much of an opportunity in so many ways for our community to gather together. And I, just, I think that there's exponential opportunity and ways that, that other folks haven't imagined that the Biogreson Center for Social Justice always finds a new path, a new journey to um, take together. And I believe that, that um, both physically and virtually, we're going to do just extraordinary things, and especially with folks like you now, you know, officially at our side, but you've been always at our side and at my side from the very, very beginning. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm looking forward to it. You know, I mean, I've got it, I've got it penciled in at some point, as soon as we find a place, hey, plane ticket, come in, hanging out, we're just going to have a party, you know, a housewarming, a placewarming party. I like that you're talking about doing a hybrid. And with the fact that you're not saying, oh, we're going to look and, you know, just going to keep it that way. Because the center has been such an important part to the Princeton area, Princeton Junction, the whole area and community you know, starting pride, helping people find it, but that it's going to be local but bigger. Where are you looking, you know, specifically? Is there any area specifically that you're looking for? And what kind of – are you looking for a 
same size place or a bigger place? We we are open um, to whatever um, becomes uh, the right space. You know, okay. I I I um you know you have to be careful when you take this kind of journey. And we've looked at a lot of spaces already, and none of them have been right for whatever reason. But each and every one of them has led us to another space or another mm-hmm. connection. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I I never want to say that the universe is leading us somewhere. Um, we are definitely taking that journey um, very, very uh, seriously and, and, and taking the reins of it ourselves. Um, but we are open to all the experiences we're having whilst we're doing it. Um, to answer your question directly, we'd like to stay as close to Princeton as possible. We have established mm-hmm. a family here. We have established a community here. And uh, not a day goes by literally where I don't hear from one or two or even more folks locally who say, you know, I really miss being with the center. I really miss being in the center. So we keep that as very sacrosanct. Um, So we're trying our darndest to stay in the area, but we're also open to what opportunities may avail themselves. And, And, you know, it may be a case where there is another community who actually needs us more, that we've done some of the work here in Princeton and established some platform, you know, we did, as you mentioned, uh, we actually organized the first Pride Parade, the first Pride event ever in Princeton, New Jersey, which was astonishing. Mm-hmm. You know, but last year, um, a bunch of folks put together a Pride picnic. So we have definitely inspired people to move forward in this journey. And and I want to be crystal about something. When we organized the Pride Parade, um, that was astonishing. And we really did it. We did it literally with about six weeks worth of prep, which everyone said we were crazy. But we, we, we knew once we heard that no one had done it before that, that we needed to put it on the calendar. We needed to put it in the books. We needed people to see that it happened because it had been far too long, obviously. So we thought, well, okay, let's do a small thing this year and we'll grow it after that for next year. We ended up with over 3,000 people in the streets with the governor and the first lady showing up with a whole bunch of other incredible folks showing up. uh, And it was just a monumental event. But then the day after, we then asked the question, and this is what I think is special about what we do. We asked the question, why the holy heck hadn't it happened before? Uh-huh. What was holding people back? What was in this community that was supposedly liberal, that was supposedly forward-thinking, that was supposedly supportive? Why hadn't this happened before? And that question gets people into trouble, right? That question is um, questioning the foundations of how do we build toward what Dr. King called the beloved community? How do we find really that space where we can start doing these things safely and appropriately and inspirationally for all the beautifully diverse communities that represent in any one town, city, state, nation, culture, world. We need to make sure that these things happen. And when they're not happening, make them happen. But then ask the direct question of, 
why didn't it happen before, and how we make sure it happens again here and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I was having dinner with um, some people, and there's a woman there who I, I didn't know, and she said, well, why do they need to have all these, these pride things everywhere? And she said, how come, you know, each state can't just have one big one? I said, no, it's important to do it in the community. Visibility matters. There's somebody who who needs to be come off their porch and say, I support you. I believe this. And there's somebody who needs to see, here are people who love me, and I can march with them. Here's my governor, you know, saying more than just sort of saying it and hanging putting up a flag, he's out here walking the streets. It's important that we have this visibility and it's in every community so that because we are in every community. We are every community should be a beloved community where no matter who you are, what your ability, if you're differently abled, what your gender, what your sexuality What's your skin color, you know, your body image, whatever. You should be able to feel that you're loved, you're encouraged, and you can be the best you that you can be. Absolutely. I mean, there are two things you have to always remember about pride and any event where folks can gather together and celebrate themselves and their community. One is it's always somebody's first pride. Mm. And that's absolutely important that you need to understand that when you hold an event like that, um, that there are a great many people there. And again, across the spectrum of age, you know, they may be youth and they may be elders Mm -hmm. because you never know where people are in their journey um, who they're coming out for the first time. So that's really sacrosanct. It really is. It is a communion of of sorts. But the other issue is this, and I remember this so crystal. um, Months after Pride, still in the before times when people went to malls and that kind of thing, not that I frequent such, but I was at the mall, and two teenage girls came up to me, uh, and one gave me this huge hug, uh, and I thought, okay, in the middle of the mall, hugged by a teenage girl, maybe, you know, not the best optics, let's, you know, um, let's figure out what this is all about. And then she thanked me for pride. She said that she was there and it was her first one and it was so meaningful. And it was so fabulous. And she was so uh, just taken with everything. She couldn't wait for the next one. And I turned to her friend who was kind of in the background, kind of quiet. And I said to her, were you able to join us? Were you with us? Um, and she said, no. And I said, oh, well, I hope that you can join us next time. We'd love to have you. And she said to me, that her parents wouldn't let her come. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's something else we have to always bear in mind, that for all those that can show up, there are so many others who cannot for whatever reason. And that's the reason that those of us that can have to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and as we do that and they see it, you know, sometimes it helps those parents because sometimes the reason why they don't want their child to come out is a fear 
a fear of what might happen to the child, a fear of what their friends would say, you know, the parents' friends, a friend about what the community would say. But as we have these events, and you're able to see that communities, where community is, that there is a place, and there'll be a new, like the center where you can just sort of go and be with a family that's like your family, and where you can get over all those stigmas, those fears, those apprehensions that you have, maybe one day what you will see is her walking with her parents side by side, and that you know, that's what we why we do it. Yeah, and I think that's an incredibly important point and so smart of you as always, um, which is why you're such an inspiration to me to bring up for our community to hear is that, you know, there are no villains. You know, everyone is human and everyone is going through their own journeys. So you never know that parent who is reluctant or who is um, resistant to their child coming out in any way. You know, I am not excusing that, mm-hmm. but I do ask for people to try to understand because there are many cases where fear is the factor involved, where fear is the background, where fear is what's stopping them because they're terrified of what harm can come to their child. And you're right, by having a parade, by having a pride event, by having a center available, it allows them to understand that there's a community that will welcome them and that they'll be safe involved with. So I remember, you know, I remember everything, you telling me about how when you were looking for the old center and you were going here, there, and and somebody said, well, there's a place around the corner. And when you turned around the corner, there was the place, and you knew it, and you felt it. I know that that's what's going to happen and that's going to lead us to our new safe space. But I also know that in these times, you know what? Unless Oprah's listening, and we'll take it from you, sister, but, you know, it, it not only does it cost to get that place, but it costs to maintain and to provide these things. We just went through Giving Tuesday. And I know that this is a time of year when people are kind of thinking about what should they do. And I always tell people, especially like some places I know, they say, oh, you want to do a secret Santa? And then I said, no, if you want to do something for me, give too. So, I want to put it out there that I want people, if you're doing it for me, if you're doing it because you love Robert, if you're doing it because you love the the guests and interviews I've done here on Collections by Michelle Brown, if you're doing it because every Tuesday you're doing queer yoga or you've enjoyed the power hour, we want you to give to help make this a reality and then Come on to the party when we kick it off. What's the best way for people to the get? Easiest, the easiest, well, thank you very much. And, and I will say that it would be incredibly meaningful if people can give whatever is within their hearts and within their means 
Um, I know there's a difficult time for many of us, but uh, the center in our community could very much use your support. Uh, and just uh, for our purposes, the easiest way is probably to visit our website. It's rustincenter.org, R-U-S-T-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. Uh, and you can visit the, the main page and go to the donate page from there, or you can just type in uh, rustincenter.org backslash donate. Um, and it'll take you to our PayPal Giving Fund. And what's wonderful about that is the PayPal Giving Fund is something that takes no percentage for themselves. So uh, your your 100% of your donation goes toward the center. Uh, we are a nonprofit 501c3, um, have been for many, many years since uh, our very beginning. In fact, we didn't start the center until we got the accreditation from the IRS. Uh, and uh, all of your money goes towards our programming and will go towards our establishing a new center. Um, one of the things that's really imperative to us about establishing the new center is what we did with the old center, which was absolutely understanding that many community centers, um, through lack of funding or maybe lack of imagination, honestly, um, lack of vision, you know, people walk in, and, and many times when you go to these spaces, you're really feeling at, at your end. You're really feeling like you're in desperate measure, uh, desperate straits, feeling like you're um, at a low. And many times you walk into a space like that, and it reflects that. It's, it's not well-kept. It's not beautiful. It's not spacious. It's not lit. It's not bright. We want to make sure that when someone walks in our center, no matter what their background is, no matter who they are, no matter where they are in their station of life, that they feel it's a space that is respectful of them, that celebrates them, and is a beautiful space to be in. So they feel like they're walking into a space that is absolutely reflective of who they dream they can be. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, Robert, I know we both have full afternoons. <laughs> I look forward to making some good trouble with you. At As always, center. my friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, in person and virtually, you know, in person and virtually. And, you know, the beloved community starts with each of us. And as we build and grow, it's just going to spread. We've already, you know, started to spread through the virtual power hour and virtual activities to reach people all over the place. And we're going to continue to do it. You know, this is my family. (laughs) This is my family. And um, I will say personally, there is many a time when the power hour has gotten me through this pandemic, and I'm proud to be a part of making that, being having been a part of it, but also being in the future a part of keeping this going and of being your friend. I, um, I treasure all of that, and uh, I reflect it back to you to the nth degree. You know, you believed in us at the very, very nascent stages, you 
reached out to me and invited me on this show. And it was one of the first times I got to talk about my vision, my dream of what the center could be. And what's just really extraordinary about that is that one, the center has um, become absolutely more than I ever imagined. And it's because of people like you, friends like you, board members now like you. And that's the second part is that our, our, our friendship, our camaraderie, um, our co-conspiring, uh, <laughs> all of it um, is sacrosanct to me. And I treasure you um, as a friend, as a member of my family, a member of my community, and now so proud to call you uh, a board member officially of the Bayard Russman Center for Social Justice. Well, we're going to keep people posted on what's happening with the center. We're going to challenge you to be a part of it. We're going to do more great programming. Robert, thank you. Um, thank you for returning the love. You know, we have a mutual admiration thing here going, you know. As my mother would say, if we had been in third grade together, they would have separated us because we, <laughs> we are, you know, we get our heads together and we're off and running. You know, it's just like a word. You'll say, Michelle, how about I'm going like, I'm there. And I say the same thing. So I look forward um, to being there with you. Like I said, I've got it on my calendar. I'm saving up for that plane ticket. I'm coming. <laughs> no doubt, no diggity. One of, one of the few things that makes me want to speed up the process is only knowing that at the end of it, it means that I'll be able to meet you finally in person. Because as I've said often, you're own, you're one of my favorite people I've never met. So <laughs> I look forward to us being together in so many, so many ways. I love you, my friend. I love you too. Okay, well, that's us. And um, that was our big news. That was our big announcement. And now, folks, it's up to you. Support the Bayard Reston Center for Social Justice. I want to thank my friend and comrade, as well as fellow angelic troublemaker, Robert Seda Schreiber, for joining me today and making this important announcement. Especially during this pandemic, our friends and found families have helped hold us together as a community. I am pleased and honored to have been officially adopted by my Bayard Reston Center for Social Justice family. Its programming, diverse events, including the Social Justice Power Hour, outreach and advocacy have uplifted not just me, but the spirits of countless others across the country and the world. I've been inspired, laughed, performed, sang, and even thought back tears. But most importantly, knew I was part of a beloved community. I hope you'll join me in the Bayard Reston Center for Social Justice family of angelic troublemakers by supporting our work. Watch the Social Justice Power Hour weekdays at 7 p.m. Join us for any of the programming, the diverse events, outreach or advocacy currently being offered virtually and help us find and fund a new home 
a physical location for the center with your donation. You can do all of this at our website, www.rustincenter.org. I'm sure you'll find Robert and I together even more now, raising good trouble. I hope you'll follow us, not only on the Bayard Reston Center for Social Justice Power Hour, but here on Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode.